Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Oh my God. Last week, on Friday... As soon as I finished recording, it was really late on Friday night, and I was like, you know what? I'm not going out tonight. I'm just going to lay it down. I have a big day tomorrow. One of my friends had invited me to brunch at her home. She invited some women that she thought I should meet, and it was 10.30 a.m., and I was like, okay, that's an early brunch for me, but I was like, new culture, new times. I got a couple bottles of Prosecco to take over to my friend's house, and then I had a lunch at 1.30 at one of my favorite restaurants with one of my favorite people. And then I was supposed to spend the entire afternoon at the Chale Wote Festival. That's the one I told you about last week. It's the big street arts festival. It's been going on for about two weeks, but Saturday was the culmination of it. So like thousands of people, more black people than I've ever seen in one place in all my life in Jamestown and Accra, not Jamestown in Virginia. There is a connection. You pick up the people you stole in one Jamestown and then you take them to the other Jamestown on ships by the Dutch or the Portuguese. That's not the point. The point is I finished editing Friday's episode. I go lay it down. I'm on the phone with him before I go to sleep. Get off the phone. I'm all snuggled in my bed. I started sleeping like a caterpillar or a caterpillar going through transition. I cannot remember the correct term for that. I, I'm not sleeping under the covers. I'm like wrapping myself up in the duvet. It's very weird, but it's comfortable as hell. A cocoon. That's what I'm doing. I'm cocooning. I know there's some psychological issue here, but I feel fine otherwise. I was like, is this like my equivalent of a weighted blanket where I'm like, I don't know. I'm getting a sense of security or something. Whatever. I'm trying to go to sleep and then all of a sudden I have these horrible pains in my stomach and they were so bad. I was like, am I having contractions? <laughs> no, I had food poisoning. I know what I ate. I ate some bad fish earlier in the day on Friday. The fish was so good when I ate it that I finished my leftovers when I came home. But I threw up every ounce of it. Oh my God, I threw up for hours. You ever throw up and be amazed at how much you're throwing up and be like, wow, that was a lot. <laughs> It was so fucking bad. Oh my God. I broke out in these night sweats. Like I had chills. So needless to say, I had to call my friend who was throwing a brunch specifically in my honor so I could meet and know people in Ghana. I had to hit her at like 630 in the morning. Like, hey, um, I'm dying and I'm not going to be able to make it. I am so incredibly sorry. She was so gracious. She was like, my assistant is with me today. Like I can have them bring you ginger ale. And then I sat there and cried because I was like, this is like the nicest thing anybody's ever done for me. I came over here with a whole bag of medicine. So I had Pepto, I had Tylenol, I had Alka-Seltzer. So I took an Alka-Seltzer to calm my tummy and that did help And the ginger ale, obviously. And then I just laid in the bed all day because like my body had just gone through it and I was scared to eat. Saturday was, was ungood. I had to cancel all my plans. I missed the festival. <sighs> Such is life. Sunday, though, I went to I went to the beach with um, Davida and her group. I told you she has a group of travelers in town 
for her KLA goes to Ghana trips. And on Sundays, they always do a beach day to Labadi. I met them at a restaurant nearby, my actual favorite restaurant in Ghana. But I didn't go for brunch because scared of food. And then we took the bus to the beach and I laid in the sun and felt the breeze and looked and listened to the water, which, you know, is good for cancers. Like we like being near water. By Monday, yesterday, when I woke up, I was back to 100 percent. 100% to the point that I was like, oh, let me do all of my errands and housework today. Ran to get money exchanged only to find out that the money exchange place is closed. And I was like, I mean, it's not the only one. It's just the one that everybody goes to. So now I got to find another one. Okay. But I got all the way up there, like a 15 minute drive, only to walk in. And I was expecting there to be a really long line because the exchange rate for dollars is really high right now. It's not even that the dollar is strong. It's that the CD is depressed. But I was expecting there to be a really long line and there was literally no one because there was a sign on the window that said XYZ is closed until further notice. I was like, what? Like, how do you exchange place closed? Like, did they run out of money? I don't know, but they closed and I'm running really low on CDs. So like anytime I go out with people, I'm using my card to pay so I can take their CDs. But then I realized the other day. That my card, the foreign transaction rate is one thing. I can deal with that. The exchange rate for CDs to dollars on my card is 20% higher than what the actual exchange rate for CDs is. And I was like, oh no, all my money has to be converted. Like I went to dinner and it was supposed to be 120 and my card ran it for 150. I was like, absolutely not. We're done. So I'm trying to figure that out now. So I came back home. I got this bright idea to like wash all of my clothes. And usually I have to do it really early in the morning because the clothes have to sit out to dry. Let me explain that. So I have a washer slash quote and unquote dryer in one. So it washes the clothes just fine. No problems. Because it's a hot climate, they don't have real dryers. Like I've stayed in four different apartments in Ghana. All of them operate the same way. So it's not just my dryer here, but the clothes don't actually dry. To dry is to spin the clothes for two and a half hours, which I was like, that don't dry it. But it's not with heat. It's just spinning it. So to get as much moisture out as possible. And then you take the clothes, put them on a rack. On my case, my rack is on my balcony because it sits in the sun. And then you dry the clothes there. It usually only takes about an hour or two when the sun is out. It's overcast yesterday, which I didn't think about when I dried the clothes. So because it takes so long to spin dry the clothes, by the time I put them out, the sun is starting to go down. The sun sets here at 630. So I was like, I'll leave the clothes out overnight. No problem. I wake up this morning, torrential downpour. So when I first wake up, like I'm chilling in bed. I'm listening to the sounds of the rain. I'm feeling like very Love Jones. I really like my room. It's like all white with really dark mahogany doors. It's very aesthetically pleasing to me. I'm having a moment. I'm feeling really good. And then I was like, oh, shit, because I realized the clothes were outside on the balcony. So I go get the clothes off the balcony. There's a ledge over my balcony from literally the balcony upstairs. So the clothes didn't get drenched. They were wetter than when I put them out the night before. So now I have a drawing rack in the middle of my living room. And I can't go work out because all my workout clothes are, are wet. The living room smells great, though. I used, some, I used some washing pods, which took me forever to find. I kept seeing, like, detergent. I was like, I don't even know where to put detergent in a washing machine. It's been so long. So I had to go find pods somewhere else. But fairy, it's got an undertone of white is right. 
But it, it was either that or the detergent. So I was like, fuck it. I bought the fairy. The fairy smells wonderful. Next time I'm going to find a stuff that starts with the P. That's what my mama's hairdresser used to use back in the day. He would order it from England, I think. Paracil? Persil? One of those. But I really want to take a walk in my neighborhood because I really do like my neighborhood. And I told you I wanted to buy a condo or two. The other day, we were riding from the restaurant to the beach on the bus. And the bus is, you know, it's a bus, like one of those VIP buses. So it's really like high. And as we're riding through the neighborhoods, I could see all of the condos, the ones that are built, but also ones that are coming up. Um, The way Ghana is set up, there are walls around most properties and you have to open a gate to drive on, walk on, whatever. That's for security. So you can't always see what the buildings look like just walking around. Like you have to actively cross to the other side of the street and look and see the top of the building or something like that. Because just walking around, I've just been trying to get a sense of my neighborhood and where the stores are and such. But I hadn't been paying attention to the condos. But not so far from me. Like a mile or two walking distance. There's a ton of places that are really, really cute. So my goal for this morning was to take a walk around and see what's out there. Just so I can research and see you know, what prices are and what the good areas are. What the good buildings are. Who the good developers are. Things like that. But, you know, pouring rain and also wet clothes. That's my life right now. <laughs> Even as I was scrambling this morning and pulling my clothes inside, I went and stood on the balcony and looked at the rain. And I was like, this place is so beautiful. I'm very enamored with Ghana in my neighborhood specifically. Even after the morning chaos, I was like, I should go downstairs and get a coffee and drink it on my balcony. And then I remembered that I don't have an umbrella either, so I I couldn't go outside. And then also, you know, no clothes to wear. I mean, like, no relaxing clothes. I would have had to put on a real outfit at, like, 7.30 in the morning to go downstairs. And I was like, that's not going to happen. So So I just left the balcony door open. I don't have a window. It's kind of like my old apartment in L.A. Like, I have, like, one wall is, or half the wall is the sliding doors for my balcony. So there's technically no window in my living room. But I opened the door just to let some fresh air in and listen to the rain and the sounds of the city. Because, I don't know, little shit makes me happy. And doing a bunch of little things that make me happy is kind of how you end up with 10 days. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. 
Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Lots of good news this week. Black folks are working. I saw the Star Jones is coming back to TV. She is taking over divorce court. I like Star Jones. She's good TV. She's good personality. I didn't realize until I was looking up the details on her going to divorce court that all of the divorce court, I mean, since like the 90s, that all of the judges on divorce court have been black women. It was Judge Maybelline, and then it was Judge Lynn, and then it was Judge Faith, who only stayed for two years. Everybody else stayed for a bop. But Judge Faith, Faith Jenkins, is married to Kenny Lattimore, and they recently announced they were having a baby. She's also hosting another show, I think on, is it on Oxygen? Yes, an Oxygen original, Killer Relationship with Faith Jenkins. The show explores the beginnings of tumultuous relationships from their romantic beginnings to their twisted endings. Faith, who has served as a litigator, assistant DA, and judge, will be giving her expertise on these strange cases. So maybe that's why she's leaving divorce court. She's also an executive producer on this show I just told you about. So maybe that's why. But Judge Faith is unproblematic as far as I know. So we wish her the best. We can't wait to see the baby. But Star Jones, (laughs) she did this great interview with the New York Post. And even reading it, I was like, I love this woman. (laughs) Because she reminds you of who the fuck she is. Like, just in case you're like, Star Jones, we haven't seen Star Jones in a month of Sundays. Is she still relevant? Yes. Uh, Michael Starr, I wonder if, I don't even know if he was being shady or if he was just uninformed. But he asked Star, he said, but he asked Star Jones, he said, Star Jones, did you have to take any special courses to prepare for divorce court? This is the first question. She says, remember, I was the first black person to have her own court show. This is Jones and Jury, which was on CNN back in 1994. So I had the background. Michael Starr, he asked her, he said, were you looking to get back onto television? Starr said, I wasn't. <laughs> She said, I've been working so hard over the past few years in business and politics and doing political fundraising. I was in my car on the way to the airport to fly to Italy to speak at the Women's Forum for the Economy and Society when I got the phone call that this was a possibility. She's taping this in studio. There's no studio audience. The studio audience is on Zoom and Skype, I think they said. And it's a very intense schedule for her. They are taping... Seven to nine episodes a day. That's a lot. But Star did say of her new role, she said, quote, I prepare like this is Star going into court for real. I go through each and every fact pattern. What aspect of the law is going to apply if there are any resources I want to bring in? I treat each case like one of my actual cases. So apparently it started airing yesterday, August 22nd. I haven't been able to find where it airs, but I want to do that. Like I said, Star Jones is a good key key. Solange, we haven't heard from Solange in a while. I knew she had gotten a divorce and that takes a toll. But while she's been away this time, she's been composing music for the New York City Ballet. She will compose a commissioned score at the Fall Fashion Gala's 10th anniversary celebration next month. Solange is the first black woman to have composed a score for a production. It's crazy to me that in the year of our Lord, 2022, we are still having black first. But nevertheless, I'm very happy for Solange to break this barrier. The event debuts September 28th at the Lincoln Center in New York City. It will honor actress Sarah Jessica Parker, 
the ballet's vice chair. Is there any other good black news? I guess this counts as good black news. Okay. Dennis Rodman announced that he is going to Russia to see if he can help Brittany Griner get home. Yes, Dennis Rodman, the same Dennis Rodman with the hair, with all the colors, who wore the wedding dress, who ran off to Vegas in the middle of the bull season and Michael Jordan had to go get him, that Dennis Rodman. Same Dennis Rodman. He said that he got permission to go to Russia to help that girl. I'm laughing at the way he phrased it. I'm not laughing at the situation. The situation is not funny. But he said he's specifically going to Russia to help secure the release of Brittany Griner, who, if you recall, was sentenced to nine years in a Russian prison. Now, I recall that the United States was like, hey, we made an offer to Russia in exchange for some arms dealer. We want Brittany and another American who's been sitting over there for a while. I don't know what happened to that. I remember there was a big announcement about it and then nothing's been said since. I don't know if they're working behind the scenes with negotiations because I know those are very tricky things. I also know that Russia at first was like, we'll we'll take the arms dealer. And then they were like, oh, and we want somebody else. I want to say it was like a murderer or somebody who's sitting in Germany. And the U.S. was like, "Ah, ah, 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 we can help you with U.S. business. We can't help you with Germany business. But Dennis Rodman, who I did not have on my bingo card as a diplomat of some sort, said he was going to Russia this week. He also said, I know Putin too well, which I was like, you know, Putin. The crazy thing, though, he does. It's not as batshit as it sounds like because when you hear it, you be like, Dennis, you doing what? You going where? Stay with me. Dennis Rodman went to Russia at some point and sat down with Putin and they talked basketball. They had a great conversation. He remarked afterward he was a cool guy. He did say their visit was strictly about sports. But apparently he thinks that he has enough of a rapport with Putin that he can go over and have a conversation. Dennis Rodman has said, I am not a politician. I am a basketball ambassador. That's it. But folks like his ass. And that's half the job of being a diplomat. He's likable. He's different. I'm not saying different isn't bad. I'm saying different as in he's different. Just different. That's all. But likable, clearly. You know, he's also friends with um, the head of North Korea, Kim Jong. Was it Kim Jong-un? Of all names. I can't pronounce shit else, but I can pronounce that. Apparently, he goes over sometimes and they just kiki together. There's a picture of them and people just sitting together like kiki And Kim looked like he's telling Dennis all the tea. And Dennis looked like he's doing this in a yonder. He's taking all the facts in so he can make an assessment and fix his life. Look, I don't care how Britney gets home. I just want her home. If, if, if it's Dennis Rodman, God bless him. The American government has said Dennis Rodman ain't got no business going over there, though. They don't want him to go. If somebody's in a position to help and you're trying to get something done that you can't get done. And he can? What's the problem? Let me see what Sports Illustrated said, because their headline is about the, how the Biden administration doesn't want Dennis over there. It says, quote, when asked about Rodman's intended visit, a State Department spokesperson discussed the importance of keeping the negotiations within the, quote, established channel to avoid complicating discussions. He noted that Rodman's visit would not be on behalf of the U.S. government. I was trying to figure out uh, where Rodman got permission from because he said I got permission to visit. It seems that was Rodman's fancy way of saying he got a visa. You don't need permission from the U.S. to travel to Russia, but you do need a visa to get into Russia. 
and Rodman has been granted a visa. I don't know if he has anything more official than that. I don't know if he has anything more official than that. Um, but I swear, if, if Dennis Rodman can get done with the whole Biden administration can't, I just want the girl home. That's a hard nut to crack. You get that done, I'd like to see what else you can get done. What else is going on? There's so much good news this week. We usually don't have this much joyful talk. <laughs> I don't know which one of these to talk about next. The Game had an album come out. Apparently, it didn't sell very well. He did an interview the other day. I saw the headline, and I was like, this nigga. Because I thought he had pulled an Irv Gotti and was, like, running his lips about Maya. Which he was, kind of. But it was nowhere near where Irv Gotti did. We talked about how grimy Irv Gotti is. But I thought the game had done about that over Maya. And I was like, what is with men spilling 20-year-old tea about these women who be so unbothered? Maya doesn't bother anyone. I mean, she's active on social media. She still has a presence. But, like, she's not out here dragging people. She's not out here spilling tea. She's not out here saying crazy, like, conspiracy theory shit. Like, she really just minds her business. But the rapper did an interview recently on the podcast, The Debut Live. He went on to talk about his relationship with Maya. He said he had a crush on her, and he mentioned her in one of his songs and called her a bitch. But he meant it affectionately, which I was like, what? But he said Maya's father, <laughs> he said Maya's father, Maya's from D.C., so her D.C. daddy rolled up on the game. I wanted, Did he say it was on a video shoot? And he was like, yo, why are you calling my daughter a bitch? And game was like, I had to back down because her dad rolled up on me. He was like, I was a young kid. He was like a stocky, you know, dad. And he was like, I didn't mean any disrespect. Like, I was just, you know, saying it as a figure of speech. But, like, I don't know her. I've never met her. But I like to get to know her. At some point, they met. They dated. They were in a situation. He was supposed to fly to Miami to meet her for Valentine's Day. He said he was driving. And he ran into the woman who was now the mother of his children. He was supposed to be headed to the airport. He said, I pulled up on my baby mama. We didn't have no kids yet. By the Ladera Center in my Bentley. And she was in a bend. And she looked so good. And we kicked it with each other on Valentine's Day. So I stood Maya up. He goes on to say, she dumped the fuck out of me. And she didn't just dump me. She brought her daddy out to my house in L.A. She flew him out there to talk to me. And I had to explain to Maya why I broke her heart and give her closure. And that was it. She ain't talked to me since. He goes on to say, Maya is great. Love Maya to this day. I was like, let me find out Maya and her daddy are kind of gangster. It's not a story we needed to know, but it's one of those stories that once you know, you look at Maya different, but different in a good way. I thought that shit was hilarious. I need to take my nigga back from, from the game. I, I shouldn't have called him that. I use that word when people act an ass. He wasn't acting an ass in this situation. It made Maya look good and it made him look like shit. I'm fine with that. Irv Gotti, his reckless dragging tea about Ashanti, don't care for it. Maya's story didn't bother me. Now we have unpleasant news. We need to talk about, and I avoided speaking about it last week. Last week's episode was running a little long, but also like I've read this article and I just felt sad after I read it. It was tea spilling. The Hollywood reporter did a lengthy cover story on the demise of the Wendy Williams show. It's literally called inside the final days of the Wendy Williams show, a behind the scenes look at what really went down with TV's queen of the purple throne. 
So reading this article and learning the backstory and learning some insider details, it just made me feel really bad for her. And I know a lot of people don't feel bad for Wendy. They're like, she spent her whole career dragging people and saying very negative things about people. And so she doesn't deserve sympathy or empathy. I hear that argument. I understand why some people would take that stance. I get it. And still, I feel bad for her. It doesn't seem to me like she has anyone around who really cares for her. And I don't know if that's because there isn't anyone who does or she's pushing people away who do. I don't know. But it's just it's a really sad situation for me to see. So I'll share some details that are in this Hollywood reporter story, but there's nothing that I delight in or I could kiki about. Like, I was just like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like, I just kept saying, oh, my God. And my face was all screwed up while I was reading it. The story starts out talking about this Zoom interview that Wendy was supposed to do. Hollywood reporter describes, quote, according to multiple people present, She was much less able to communicate a clear message as her speech quickly became muddled and disconnected. She started rambling and people were like, what are you saying? They described people as being bewildered. They said Wendy wasn't coherent. They said the whole Zoom lasted two and a half, three minutes before executives turned it off. And they said in this Zoom, and this was at the beginning of the season, not towards the end. So even before the season started, They said uh, people were sort of freaked out. She was saying things like, oh, I can't wait. I'll be back with you really soon. But it was obvious to anyone watching that she was not going to be back really soon. And so that's what led to what Hollywood Reporter describes as a revolving door of guest hosts that filled in for the remainder of the year. Hollywood Reporter makes the same observation that most of us made. You remember back in 2017 when Wendy fainted on air? They marked that as the beginning of her struggles. But over the next four years, she just seemed to unravel. There are some details that the public wasn't privy to, and that's what the Hollywood Reporter was able to find out for this article. So they say that during a four-year period, Producers sent pre-show text messages to higher ups at the company questioning Williams' sobriety on at least, on quote, at least 25 separate occasions. Williams would always insist that she was fine. Her drinking problems were really severe. A source told The Hollywood Reporter that staffers would find bottles of alcohol up in the ceiling tiles and other weird places in the office. By the summer of 2021, Williams was in and out of hospitals and doctors' care, according to multiple sources. She was whisked from one expert to the next as medical professionals tried to figure out what was causing symptoms like nonlinear speech, brain fog, memory loss, and even hallucinations. It said things went from bad to worse. Photos of Williams walking the city streets in blue hospital booties began flooding the internet. A few days later, reports of her being hospitalized for psychiatric evaluation followed. It had become clear that they would need to push the season premiere by a couple of weeks. So a good chunk of the article is about the rotating series of guests that came to fill in for Wendy while she was supposed to be in recovery, whether it was from alcohol or drugs or um, lymphedema or Graves' disease 
or whatever was going on with her. According to insiders, the idea all along was to have Wendy come back, but she was out for so long with no seeming progress. And that in February of this year, the production company officially decided to cancel the show. And they decided that Sherry Shepard, who had done well as a stand-in host for Wendy, would launch in Wendy's time slot in the fall. And I think it's worth noting in this article that Sherry is not a replacement for Wendy, that the Wendy Williams show was just that. It was Wendy Williams show. Wendy is unable to complete the show. So the Wendy Williams show has ended. A new show with Sherry Shepard as the host was developed not to replace Wendy per se, but to fill Wendy's time slot. I think that's a notable distinction. Like she didn't steal Wendy's show. It's not like Wendy was ready, willing, and able, and Sherry was like, ha ha, no. It's, this article makes it pretty plain that Wendy is not able to do a show. As much as Wendy would like to continue a show. So after the announcement was made that the Wendy Williams show is officially canceled, Wendy calls them out the blue one day in late February and was like, what is all this about my show being canceled? And they're like, hey, um, we haven't heard from you in months and you haven't been able to do the show. And we've been having people cover for you for literally three months. And so we had to make a decision. This is where it gets really strange. The Hollywood Reporter reports, quote, a version of this conversation would take place several more times over the next four months. There were multiple phone calls and a sit down lunch in Manhattan. Each time, according to sources, Williams appeared to be having the discussion for the first time. This is what the producer said. They stressed to Williams the importance of getting cleared by a doctor before she'd be able to return to TV in any meaningful capacity. We said, Wendy, we need to have a diagnosis, whether it's the TV stations or a network or a new producer. Anyone who's going to do business with you after you didn't show up for a year needs to know that you're okay. No one's going to risk money or finance things. They said to date, Williams has been either unable or unwilling to present an okay. Williams' current manager is a guy by the name of Williams is a guy by the name of William Selby. He's a high-end jeweler who says he met Wendy through a DJ five or six years ago. He said he helped her procure some diamonds and the two remained close. He said when he started to see the replacements in Wendy's chair, he stepped in. He says he and Wendy have been busy with a few projects, including a restaurant and a podcast titled The Wendy Experience. Selby adds that he genuinely cares about Wendy, even if others seem to doubt him. He says, quote, I know everyone thinks that we're all trying to take advantage of her. And what I don't understand is, don't I look rich? Why would I come into Wendy's life to take advantage of her? I don't have time for that. So no one's trying to make her do anything that she doesn't want to do. She wants to work right now. I'm the one saying, hey, Wendy, let's wait. Let's assess and if you really feel 100% ready, then let's do it. I don't understand how anybody with a straight face can, can see the recent videos of, of Wendy Williams and, and remotely speak about her like she's ready to take on any new ventures. I saw that interview on TMZ, the one where she like tossed up her swollen leg to show for the camera. 
they were asking her questions and she was pretty incoherent. She has no business being in public. She needs to be under a doctor's medical care. You can look at someone and see when they're not okay. She's not okay. This article is just, it's one sad detail after the next. The woman didn't remember that her show was being canceled. I respect that she's so passionate about her show that she thinks that, you know, the next day I'll be fine. I can return. I can return. I can return. I'm all for the hope spring being eternal. But either she has some mental issues where she can't remember things or people around her are not being honest with her about her condition. I feel very bad for her. Like this article just made me really, really sad because Wendy at the top of her game was at the top of the heap. She's one of the best to do it in terms of talk shows, in terms of talk radio. But she needs help. And I'm not sure who's helping her. This guy, the jeweler, who's like, oh, I just want to help. At the point where he was like, do I look like I need money? I was like, sir, you sound like Whitney talk about crack is whack. I would never do crack. And then come to find out she was doing crack. Sir, I want want better for Wendy. And, And I don't mean better like return to air, be back on TV. If she could get to that place, that would be amazing. I would just like her to be in good, sustainable health and in her right mind because it doesn't look like she's currently there. I want people around her that genuinely want the best for her because I don't think she has that now. This just makes me really, really sad. As if we weren't depressed enough. Do you remember? Of course you do, because how could you forget? Many, many years ago, early 2000s, there was... I can't even call it a sex tape because of the age of of the woman girl that was featured. It was the young girl, 14 years old, that R. Kelly had urinated on, on video. And everyone and their mother saw that video, including me. And this is not something I'm proud of. This is something I'm telling you the story as it happened that I'm actually quite ashamed that this was my reaction. There was talk of a, this video with R. Kelly urinating on a kid. One of my friends had gone down to Canal Street because they were selling the video. Remember we spoke in a previous episode about the, uh, the sexual exploitation of black women and where the money goes? How much money is generated off of the sexual exploitation of black women? Went down to Canal Street and bought the CD of which they were calling the R. Kelly sex tape. And we all went to a friend's house, maybe like seven or eight of us in the room. And we popped it in the DVD. There were two girls on the tape. One of them, older girl. I think later it came out that she was 16. R. Kelly at the time, by the way, was about 30. But the next portion started and this little girl came on the screen. And it was rumored that she was 14. But to look at her, she looked closer to 11. She didn't look like she had gone through puberty. Looked maybe like she was starting puberty. Her chest was buds not breast. This, we st- we've been laughing uncomfortably at the audaciousness of R. Kelly to have sex with girls. We didn't call it rape at the time. We didn't call it molestation. We didn't call it abuse, even though that's what it was. But it just wasn't the terminology that was used at the time. And we knew what he was doing was wrong. Let me just speak for myself. It didn't hit as in my head as something that was criminal at the time. I think when I was watching this, I was under 25. The level of wrongness of it hadn't fully hit me yet. But we get to the part of the video and there's this 
14-year-old who looks younger than 14, and she looks so uncomfortable. And R. Kelly is sort of like, you know, directing her to do things. I want to say he was trying to get her like to dance like sensually for him. She's a child. Like you can't be sensual. Like you're, it's a kid. And then he started peeing on her. And we were all like, yo. In theory, the idea of seeing someone pee on someone else was, it was supposed to be shocking, audacious. Like, I can't believe this nigga here. And then to actually watch it, I think we got through the first part of it and we were, everybody was like, man, turn this shit off. Like it was a collective, like nobody wants to see this shit. Seeing it is when it hit me like, yo, this dude is really fucked up. It was always a punchline like, oh, R. R. Kelly peed on a kid. But then to actually see R. Kelly pee on this little girl was like, like, what the fuck? Like, what is wrong with you? I tell you this story. Because the young lady in the video is currently testifying against R. Kelly. She's testifying in Chicago. She's going by the pseudonym Jane Doe. If you recall, there was a trial with R. Kelly in 2008. And it was on child pornography charges stemming from the video in which he urinated on this young girl. It's 14-year-old. USA Today goes on to note that R. Kelly used to carry a duffel bag full of sex tapes of the girls that he was sexually abusing everywhere he went for years. And then according to court filings, some tapes later went missing. The USA Today notes that in the 2000s, bootleg copies of some of the videos began appearing on street corners throughout the U.S., Canal Street. Sparkle showed her parents a copy of the video that she said depicted their daughter having sex with R. Kelly. Jane Doe described her parents confronting Kelly about whether he was having sex with their daughter. Jane testified Kelly dropped to his knees and begged her parents to forgive him. She said she later implored her parents not to do anything to get Kelly in trouble, telling them she loved him. So when the court case came up in 2008, Kelly told the parents... And the, and the girl at the time, to leave Chicago. He paid for them to travel to the Bahamas and Cancun. When they returned, prosecutors say Kelly isolated the young girl, moving her around to different hotels. When called before the state grand jury, the girl and her parents denied that the girl, the one who's now testifying it was her, they denied back then that it was. That's how he got off. Jurors told reporters after the trial that they weren't convinced that the girl in the video was who the state prosecutor said she was. I want to be detailed about this because a lot of people have been saying, well, for all these years, she's been denying that it was her on the tape. And so now she's coming back as a grown woman and saying it was her. Like, why is she changing her story? It says an attorney for Kelly asked jurors during opening statements on Wednesday to scrutinize why Jane is coming forward now and changing her testimony from two decades ago. Still the prosecutor. For the last 22 years, she has adamantly denied that it was her in that video. Before there was any criminal investigation, she denied it. She denied it repeatedly to prosecutors. She denied it to social workers, to police officers. She denied it under oath to a grand jury. On the witness stand Thursday, Jane said she is testifying under immunity 
because she lied under oath in a 2002 grand jury about her sexual relationship with Kelly and whether she appears in the explicit video recordings with him. She says, if I correct my mistakes by telling the truth, I won't be prosecuted. The prosecutor asked her, why were you untruthful? Jane, because I was afraid to expose Robert, because I was afraid of what might happen to my parents. I also did not want that person to be me. I was ashamed. She said she finally decided to tell her story because, quote, I became exhausted living with his lies. She was 14 then. She's 37 now. She described her upbringing in a musical family in a Chicago suburb. She noted that she was homeschooled because she was in a touring musical group that she joined when she was 12. She first met R. Kelly in the late 1990s when she was in junior high school. She tagged along to Kelly's Chicago recording studio with her aunt, a professional singer, Sparkle. And Sparkle said, well, maybe you should, you know, try to forge a closer relationship. She told Joris, I'm reading this from USA Today. She asked R. Kelly to be her godfather because she saw him as an inspiration and a mentor. The woman says Kelly chuckled and agreed to be her godfather. Within weeks, their relationship became sexual. He would talk to her on the phone and ask, what color panties are you wearing? And about her breasts growing. He told her that she needed to wear bras. She said he first touched her breasts and other parts of her body when she was around 14 at a Chicago recording studio. She said she was 15 when they first had intercourse at his Northside Chicago home. She said she lost her virginity to R. Kelly. Prosecutor asked her how many times they had sex before she turned 18. She said, quote, uncountable times, hundreds. When Kelly became her godfather, Jane testified that her parents felt comfortable letting her stay the night or even the weekend at his home without her parents or aunt present. She testified, quote, they would pretty much drop me off and then leave. They sold that baby to a predator. That, that is baffling to me that you just dropped your 14 year old daughter off with a random man just because she was in a singing group and that he was this famous, you know, award winning musician. I could see taking her to the studio and sitting there the whole fucking time while she records. I could see that. But you just dropped your 14 year old daughter off and trusted this man because he was famous or had a lot of money either or her parents need to be on trial for this shit too. They need to be on trial for dropping her ass off and they need to be on trial for lying back in the day when somebody was actually trying to get this man off the damn streets. Streets were being like, no, no, that's not her. No, mm-mm, mm-mm. You got one job as a parent. One goddamn job. Protect your goddamn kids. And you just fed this child to a predator. Some shameful shit. All right, y'all. That's the episode for this week. I'll be back on Friday, hopefully with some less depressing things to talk about, because what the fuck? All right. Talk soon. Bye. I ain't even mean that kiss this week. Just, well, I'm disgusted right now.